it's the new year, everyone and their mother, everyone and their mother's father's mother is making predictions and projections for the upcoming year. This video in particular is going to look at someone's predictions for just social media in general and pick them apart. Now, I'm a, I'm a fan of this girl's list who I'm going to put up on the screen in a bit and kind of go point by point talking about what I agree with, what I don't agree with. Her name is Courtney Johnson. I found this list on TikTok. It was just kind of spammed on my feed. I listened to it. I watched her yap. I agree with a lot of things. I disagree with some of the things. I want to reinforce some things that I think you guys would learn from. Go give her a follow. She does a lot of cool social media creator economy things. The other thing I want to note here is that most of her list is speaking to brands or companies that want to use the power of creators or just, you know, overall trends that brands and companies are going to use in 2024. I am going to touch on that, but I'm more so going to speak to creators as it relates to what this means for you. So the video is linked down below. If you guys want to watch it first, I would suggest you do that so you get context behind what I'm yapping about. The first thing on her list is in-house personal brands, greater sign influencers. So what she means is companies are going to start producing their own in-house influencers, their own in-house creators so that they don't have to go through a middleman. They don't have to go through an agency. They don't have to work with influencers themselves. People can probably be difficult, people that you have to pay a lot of money to. So you cut out the middleman. This is a long process. This is one I've been talking about for years and years and years. This is one that you guys probably subconsciously don't even realize that that's our entire business is built upon this. We never go out. And it's one of the reasons I really don't collab that often is because we don't need to because we've built up a lot of personal influence through the brands and the personal brands within the house of BDGE. The house of BDG. That sounded, that felt real fucking powerful. Everyone in here is on camera so often that they build up their own personal brand to the point that they do, in fact, have influence over a lot of the audience and, and the fans that watch our stuff. And it's a particularly obvious tactic, I guess you could say, or strategy. It's probably a better term for it when you're working in the media world, right? Like we are a media first business. We're a sports media business. We make videos about fantasy football, NFL, whatever it may be. In this particular channel, we're making it about content. But I think most of the companies are going to get ahead in the future over the next decade are software slash media companies. Most companies don't really think of themselves as media companies, but realistically, that just means that your company is putting out content and you're getting into the head and the, and the vision of your potential audience or purchaser. It'll become increasingly difficult for creators to build businesses without having a product or service to sell if they're only working with sponsors or brands or whatever, paying them to do ad reads. And on the flip side, it'll be really difficult for companies to build software products without having a face of their company. It doesn't need to be the CEO, but without having someone that people in the audience can attach themselves to and really like get to know the company and their values and what they stand for, it's going to be hard to sell. So with all these videos and all of these lists and, and stuff that I make in the near future and hopefully into the deep, deep future, I plan to be around here for the long term because I love making this shit. I'm going to give real life examples that hopefully drive all of these points home. Now, I think no other company has done this better in our particular space. When I say our, I mean sports and more particularly fantasy sports than underdog fantasy. They are a software company first right? All of the players in the gambling, DFS, Pick'em, Fantasy, whatever it is, they're software companies. We are creators. They are software. Now, their strategy for a long time and still very much part of their main strategy is to work with brands and companies, influencers. I fucking hate that word, so I'm going to try to use it as least often as possible. But they come to us to say, hey, promote our stuff to your market. Now, what they did that I thought was genius is they started building their in-house organic marketing team 
years ago, as soon as they launched. And I'm talking in particular about Josh Norris and Hayden Winks. Since then, they have obviously expanded and they have other creators on their platforms and they have partnered with other podcasts and whatever. But these two are two in-house, full-time staffed creators just for Underdog Fantasy. And in the few years that they launched, they have been working their asses off, putting out videos weekly daily, learning how to make thumbnails, all that kind of stuff to blow up on YouTube to the point where I don't know if they're at 100,000 subs yet, but they are damn close to it. And what that means internally is they will always have a direct speaking line to their audience. It saves them money. While they have invested into Josh and Hayden, what that does, think about, okay, Underdog wants to work with a subscriber base of 100,000. They have to go to a creator that has 100,000 subscribers, us. In that deal over the course of the year, they may pay us half a million dollars between flat cash up front and CPAs and signups and whatnot. They are probably, if I had to guess, not paying Josh and Hayden that much just based off salaries. Maybe they have incentives, maybe they get CPAs and a lot of stuff on top of it. Maybe they do end up making that much. But the overall point here is now that maybe they actually spent more on Josh and Hayden, which honestly I think would be worth it for the fact that they're investing in their own brand. So if you pay the money here, would you rather pay an influencer to invest into your brand or an in-house creator that is extremely like invested into what you guys are doing internally to help build up the brand if they're gonna have the same results. So now they don't have to take this money and invest it here because these people are organically driving that by themselves. You are using the people in your company as influencer marketers. It is the easiest way to sell products direct to your audience because you've built a personal brand. We will see a ton, a ton, a ton of companies move this way because social media is the single best distribution avenue in the world. Like it might've been TV commercials. 800-588-2300-EMPIRE. Today. It might've been this or that or whatever, but it is not that anymore. Now, the difficulty and why we don't see this happen often is look at this case sample. Like Josh and Hayden, it took them years and years and years of investing into the content with no promise of it actually working. Whereas you have a lot more control, I think, over the influencer campaigns, looking at the numbers directly. When you are investing into brand and organic growth, it is without a doubt a gamble, is without a doubt a bet, is without a doubt a little bit of a scary proposition that you're gonna put a lot of money into, hoping to get return on the back end, but I promise you it is worth it over the long run if you have people that are invested into building that up. And in the video, she says that they're gonna replace it. I think really what she meant was like, it's, it's going to start becoming more and more of a norm because you can't replace it in one year. It takes years to build brand. It takes years to build loyalty and trust with an audience. It takes years to build an audience the size of something that actually impacts your business. So we'll see a gradual investment into it and then probably like slow swapping over the years. All right, let's move to number two. She says content series over one-off content. I don't think I have much to add here. Uh, I agree with the sentiment over like, you know, a, a series is better if it's good than one-off content. I, they're almost very different types of content in my eyes. Like they both very clearly have a time and place and they both very clearly have pros and cons to them. Like when I think of a series, like they have a natural inherent binging tendency to them. But at the same time, it can isolate an audience. If you're doing a series, you are focusing on that specific type of content. And if people don't like it, they are not gonna tune into it. But a series is also how you can build great depth with your audience. So you might isolate people, but you will get the people that stick around for that series to kind of fall in love with what you're doing. I, th I think the best way to go about this as a creator, I've made this mistake before. I, I think, I don't think you should launch a series. I don't think you should be like, this is something that I want to do. I think you should look at everything as a one-off piece of content with the ability to turn into a series. That way you're foolproofing it. That way you are saying like, 
let me test out the content. If people like it, then I can scale it up and make it a weekly series or just do like part one or part two, right? In my uh, 2023 recap video, I talked about how some of my personal TikToks that were talking about like New York City, I made a video that was pretty much titled like seven things to know if you're new to New York City or if you're moving to New York City, right? I posted it. I didn't put like part one. I didn't put like a series or anything like that. It was just a piece of content I wanted to make. It did really well. So I was like, fuck it. We're going to do part two. That did well. Part three, part four. Like your audience will tell you what you should be making into a series. I would not force the series aspect. It puts a lot of pressure on you because now you said something that you're going to do. And if it doesn't succeed right away and maybe not even succeed by like a numbers base, but you realize quickly that you don't want to do it. You have now fucking put yourself in a mental pretzel. So let the content, the one-off content dictate whether or not you turn it into a series. Prediction number three is link in bio type links are going to be greater sign landing pages. This is way more speaking to companies because I, I feel like the individual creator for the most part, like 90% probably don't even know what a fucking landing page is. That's basically, there's a lot of software programs out there that you can go to that will build landing pages for you, which is like literally a one-off page website. So it is a website that is built strictly for one page to collect email addresses, to collect some type of form is usually on the landing page. Uh, in order for you to either sign up or to like buy a single product. It feels a little bit outdated. It's usually used for more like higher level products or higher investment products. So products that are priced a little bit higher for people to get more info and read through it and it be very targeted and focused. She's saying that link and bio will kind of take place of this, which I think is a, a really good take. And we could use a real life example, for instance, on TikTok this summer, we sell a product within BDG. That's our fantasy football draft guide, right? Getting people ready for their draft so they don't have to show up looking like a fucking idiot. Now, what we did was we use a software called stand.store, right? That's the URL for it. And you could set up a little, it's almost like a link in bio shop. So when people click the link in the bio, they have the ability to buy the product right there. And that makes sense for an audience that's coming from TikTok or any, any mobile audience where it's right there for you, where you're able to put a little picture, you're able to put a main description or a title, and then a little sub subscription as well, plus the price. And it's like one or two clicks to buy the item. So there's nothing overwhelming about that. With landing pages, they are wildly overwhelming for the normal creator. It's like when I explained what a landing page was, your first thought was probably like, do I need to buy a website? Do I need to buy a URL? If so, how do I even do that? How do I design it? What do I write on it? Where do I put the form? Where do I put the, put a picture? Is it high quality? Should it be of me? Should it be of a thing? A million questions. It's just all the shit that doesn't need to be there. And when I look at just like the evolution of technology with humans, we are so designed to just welcome in, right? We always push back on everything at first. Everything is a pushback first because we just don't like change. And then we continue to welcome in things that make us more efficient, save us time, make us money, all those types of things that just make everything easier for the consumer and for us. Everybody will push back again until you realize that that's the truth. Uber, people are like, ah, the safety, we don't know who it is, except it saves me time. So boom, billion dollar company. Online dating apps, oh, that's weird. Saves me time, allows me not to face rejection. It's all these like problems that humans have that is usually solved with technology, push back on, and then they realize that it's solving a problem that's greater than the fake problem that they're pretending to be mad at, and then we adopt the technology. And that's what like a link in bio type thing is. And again, don't get me wrong, I think there's a time and place for landing pages, like I said, higher ticket items. If you're selling something that's you know $500, $1,000, $3,000, there needs to be more information. You need to kind of have a story to tell. But I also think that there is a lot of just like content that does that for you. A video like this would probably sell a product a thousand times better than just a written landing page 
from a random person that you never met, but you combine the two, you make a video, then you have a nice, well put together, thoughtful landing page and it's boom, signed, sealed, delivered. Fourth thing on our list was private groups, greater sign, top of funnel. Now, top of funnel is basically making content for the masses. Top of funnel, like think of a, think of a business like a funnel, like a triangle basically, and it's like you're getting a ton of people on the top, at the bottom are basically your purchasers, your customers. Along the way, you need to like meet them, they need to understand who you are, they need to get to know you better, and then they make the purchase decision. So what she's saying is like, private communities or private groups, whether it's Discord or GroupMe or like private DMs to people, is gonna take precedent over top of funnel, which I agree with and I disagree with. Again, this feels like a time and place type thing. Like no one's gonna stop making top of funnel content. Like literally the video that she made is top of funnel content. The video that I'm making right now is top of funnel content. They are very, very different parts of the funnel. I think this would be better worded as saying like private groups will become more of a part of the funnel. Like we're gonna push the private group into the funnel, whereas it hasn't been a big part up to this point, especially not for businesses. It has been for creators, like creators, especially in the sports gambling fantasy space have gone discord fucking crazy over the last few years, which can also backfire if you're not really careful about building your community and having a very engaged audience, because if you try to launch a discord and a million people come into it, but there's like no real engagement and people are just spamming, it looks bad. So overall, I would probably disagree with this sentiment just in the fact that I think they're two completely different things. And I, but I would agree with the fact that like private groups or more direct communication with your audience is going to be a bigger strategy for businesses. Fifth thing up is sneaky social media SEO. Now SEO is search engine optimization. If you think for, if you think about Google, you write something on Google, right? That's a search engine. So it's like, how do we get a top Google? Is it keywords? Is it titles? Now there's a lot of SEO going on within TikTok and there's SEO going on within Instagram, right? If you go onto TikTok and you're searching for something, you're like best restaurants in New York City, there's gonna be a reason why TikTok shows you the top four videos, right? And a lot of it will probably be feedback engagement, right? It'll be showing TikTok that like, hey, 14% of users liked this video or commented on this video, but there's also an aspect to the people writing long captions within the video that give more of an explanation. And I think she's saying that people will be more strategic with the way that they use SEO. I'm not gonna comment on it because I've never in my life focused on SEO. I've never sat down and thought like, all right, I'm gonna make this video. How do I make it SEO focused? To me, in my eyes, it had its time and place for sure when Google was like the top dog and it does have its time and place on these newer platforms, but it's something that I feel has kind of passed us by a little bit in terms of being like a high level strategy that you should put a lot of focus into. Good content will make you grow and, and allow you to sell things. To me, that's the important work, not SEO. SEO is more tactic and strategy to me. It's more of a nice to have. It's, it's like taking a fish oil supplement, right? If you're gonna eat 5,000 calories at Thanksgiving, you're gonna gain weight. That fish oil supplement, that multivitamin, whatever, it'll make you feel better about yourself. It'll, it'll make me feel better that I have a nice title and I have a subject line and I have pictures that are linked back to another you know blog post of mine. It ain't gonna be the thing that gets you to where you're going. The last two, I kinda wanted to bucket together. It's strategic content distribution and content curation. So strategic content distribution, I honestly think you could have like put this as a prediction for any of the past 10 years and been successful with it and been right about it because as content becomes more and more of a game plan for businesses and creators, of course we have to be more strategic with it. I do like that she add in how she puts things on specific platforms, sees what does well and then puts it on a different platform if it does well and only if it does well, which is a really good takeaway. And it kind of goes back to like what I was saying with 
the one-off content versus a series where it's like you get to test out your content, see if it does well, and then do another part of it or move it to another platform, which is what she's saying here. And I like that. I like making content specific to one platform. So like I am making this video for YouTube. I don't know if I'm gonna put it on TikTok or not. That is not my strategy right now. I'll put it on Twitter because it's really easy to do so, but I'm making it for YouTube with no expectations elsewhere. If it works really well, if this shit like goes viral for whatever reason, then yeah, I'll cut it up and put some on TikTok, et cetera. But I think you should be making content for one platform, make it as great as it can possibly be for that. If it does well, then you shift focuses. Alex Hermosi, who I've talked about a, a ton, does a, a really good job of this, where he tweets out, he basically thinks about things. He tweets out his best thoughts, and then whatever gets the most engagement, like people bookmarking it, people you know commenting about it, how it helped them, whatever it is, whatever gets the highest engagement there is what he chooses to make videos about. So I think the takeaway here is that it's very low risk to basically sample content before you spend a ton of time and energy uh, making series out of it or cutting it up for seven different platforms. Because you're gonna get an audience that tells you whether or not they like it on one platform first. But overall, yeah, the more resources you have, the more you can sink into distribution strategy. Like for instance, when we put our trivia on TikTok versus YouTube versus Twitter, they all need to be exported in different ways and edited in different ways. So we obviously edit YouTube this way. When we put it up on TikTok, it's edited that way. When we put it up on Twitter, we put it into a square before we upload it. So there is definitely different strategy and content distribution that goes into these different platforms. But again, if you're a beginner creator, I really, really would just like focus in dial in on one platform and i don't even remember what content curation really meant to be honest with you but i kind of feel like it was similar to whatever number six was so i'm gonna leave this video here i've been yapping for a minute go follow courtney johnson she does a lot of really good video content covering the creator economy predictions and, and other stuff that you'll enjoy if you enjoyed this type of video and if you did make sure you hit the button that looks like this i'll be making a ton more of these like personal one-on-one -on -one videos now that we're settled into the new office i've already got like six or seven scripts right up Hi. Oh, fuck, I can't be doing dabs in the first vid. All right, goodbye.